I wonder if you remember the Billy Ocean song, When the Going Gets Tough. Uh, <laughs> if, you're <laughs> if you're younger than about 40 or 45, remember might be the wrong word. Maybe I should say, do you know the song, When the Going Gets Tough? Um, I really liked the song when I was a kid. It was the theme song for the movie Jewel of the Nile, which was one of the first movies I ever saw in the cinemas. And so it stuck in my head, that song. But I never really thought much about what it meant. Uh, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. You can take that one of two ways. Maybe when the going gets tough, the tough turn tail and get out of there. <laughs> Maybe they aren't as tough as they seem. Another way you could take it is when the going gets tough, the tough get going. They, they, they knuckle down, they get fired up and rise to the challenge. You could take it either way. I don't, didn't think too hard about it as a kid. I just enjoyed listening to the song. On closer inspection, uh, I think Billy definitely meant the second option. Uh, when the going gets tough, the tough knuckle down and put up a fight. Uh, when the going gets rough, the tough get rough. It's one of the lines. In the, in the case of Billy's song, it means fighting for the woman you love, like most pop songs are about. In the case of the Christian, we might express the same sentiment not to fight for romantic love, but to fight to hold on to our faith in God. When the going gets tough as a Christian, when we face hardship and opposition, when we're tempted to give up our faith, or we need to get going, we need to knuckle down and hold on to what we know is true. When the going gets tough, the tough fix their eyes on Jesus. You're going to see how the writer describes that for us in Hebrews chapter 12 today. The writer to the Hebrews has written to people in something like this situation. The readers of this letter are facing hardship as Christians. They've faced persecution in the past. He's described that clearly and they've come through that. Uh, but maybe now their faith is wavering. Now as they face more hard times, they may, may well be in danger of giving up their faith. Hence all the warnings in the letter. Uh, I'm going to flick back to chapter 10 for a moment and just look at uh, the most recent warning uh, that the writer has given. Chapter 10 uh, from verse 26. And the readers here are warned about what happens to those who know God but continue in sin. Chapter 10 from verse 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. There was a strong warning uh, back there. And the writer, well, he wouldn't have to issue the warning if his readers weren't in, potentially in some uh, danger down uh, from verse 32 in chapter 10. See how he goes there. The, reminder, the writer reminds them of how they responded to hardship initially. Uh, so read from verse 32 of chapter 10 with me. Uh, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. 
So the preacher is writing to Christians who have faced hard times and they've persevered. And now they're facing hardship again and they're or perhaps in danger of throwing in the towel, in danger of perhaps turning to ineffective means of salvation. Uh, it's like when you go through perhaps a battle with chronic illness. You, you might maybe be able to cope with the first fight or two. You can bounce back in the early days, but as the illness progresses, you slowly lose your capacity to fight it. With each recurring bout, each new complication, maybe you start to lose the will to fight uh, maybe that's something like what's happening to some of the readers of uh, this letter. They're losing the will to fight. They persevered well at the start. But now, when the going gets tough again and again, they're not sure how they can handle it. Not sure they can endure it. Uh, do you ever feel that way about the Christian life? <laughs> do you ever feel that way? Uh, does it all seem too hard sometimes, for whatever reason, as... as Obstacle after obstacle or opposition after opposition comes to you. Well, the preacher has a message for you. He has a message for us all today. Uh, the writer of the Hebrews, he encourages his readers to endure. He says, when the going gets tough, the tough endure, they persevere. Uh, the tough endure hardship is discipline, he says. We'll see what that means in a moment. Uh, but first of all, the key to enduring hardship is to fix your eyes on Jesus. That's the first thing the preacher tells them to do. Uh, in chapter 11, he, he gave that long list of people who've, who've had faith in God, people over the centuries who were witnesses to the faithfulness of God, even though they never saw the fulfillment of God's promises. Because like us, these people were, were looking forward uh, to Jesus, who is the perfect example of endurance in suffering. And thanks to Jesus' suffering, on our behalf, we can have this saving faith in God. And then from chapter 12, verse 1, see, uh, and we, we finished with this last week, we'll start with it this week, see how the, the preacher continues. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus remembering his sacrifice for us, remembering his endurance under opposition. That puts, puts our suffering and hardship in perspective. Uh, we, we look to him as the example to follow, looking to him as the fulfillment of God's promise of salvation. When the going gets tough, fix your eyes on Jesus. And doing this, then, we can endure hardship as discipline, says the preacher. Because by our hardship, God is training us to be holy. It's helpful to think of discipline as training. Uh, often the word discipline in common use can simply mean punishment or, or something like it, the consequences for bad behavior. Uh, but if we think of discipline as training, like a father trains their son, well, that's the way it's used most often in the Bible, <laughs> 
we think of it that way, we see that God trains us, even through the hardships in, that we face in life. Uh, have a read from verse 4 with me. Chapter 12 there from verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. We have the idea of rebuke or correction there with a view to being trained in right living. Uh, And then from verse 7, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. God disciplines those he treats as sons. Surely we'd rather be treated uh, like sons by God. We'd rather he treat us as his children than ignore us. Not to face discipline means God is treating us with indifference, A father who doesn't discipline is a father who doesn't care. But God is a loving father because he cares enough to discipline us. And God disciplines us for our good, to make us holy. Uh, Read from verse 9. Follow along from verse 9. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So God disciplines us for our good, uh, and he's not like uh, an earthly father who gets it wrong sometimes. <laughs> we all think of examples of parental discipline which was unhelpful or even harmful. We could all come up with examples of that kind of discipline. Uh, maybe we've dished out some unhelpful discipline ourselves as parents. I certainly know that I have <laughs> at times. But God disciplines us perfectly. Uh, God disciplines us for our good, to make us more like him. God disciplines us so that we might share in his holiness. We, we might not like it at the time, but enduring hardship as discipline means that God is training us, submitting to the discipline of the Lord, produces righteousness and peace in us. This is God training us uh, to be more like him. Now, again, what kind of hardship is the preacher talking about? Uh, And he he doesn't specifically specify. We could certainly draw some conclusions. He could be talking about the trials other Christians have gone through, maybe the hardships he mentioned in chapter 11, which those witnesses to the faith, uh, witnesses to the faithfulness of God have have gone through over the centuries. Maybe they're similar trials uh, maybe the discipline he's talking about are similar trials to the ones his readers have faced before. There's certainly the context of persecution for their faith, which we see in chapter 10, uh, opposition to the gospel, uh, the persecution that comes 
simply for putting their faith in Jesus. Is it about uh, their own sin and the temptations they face and the fact that they sometimes give in? Is that why the, the discipline comes at times? Is that the hardship he's talking about as they face the consequences of their own uh, sin at times? All, all of those contexts, all those kinds of hardship are described different times and places in Hebrews. And it's helpful, I think, to not try to be too specific about exactly what kind of hardship the preacher's talking about because, in a sense, it doesn't matter a great deal. What's important is that they persevere to achieve the outcome. In fact, all kinds of hardship are probably on, on display and what's important is that they persevere, even though... They may hate going through it at the time. The discipline or the training, it may involve rebuke for wrongdoing. It may involve the, the natural consequences of their own sin. It may involve standing against those who oppose them for their faith. Either way, it's not necessarily going to be enjoyable. No child likes to be sat on the naughty spot or being told off for touching the oven. Uh, when we're told by our GP to... Uh, get fit or risk getting sick. <laughs> we don't necessarily enjoy the hard training that comes with improving our fitness, but you can look back years later and be grateful for the discipline you received, for the training you endured. Enduring hardship as discipline results in good things. It's worth it in the end. For the Christian, it results in a harvest of righteousness and peace. Now, the Apostle Paul says something similar in Romans chapter 5. Romans 5, verses 1 to 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When you face hardship and opposition, when the going gets tough, fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the one through whom we have peace with God. Uh, if you find it hard as a Christian facing opposi opposition or persecution, uh, struggling with sin, uh, needing correction. Uh, this isn't about God, uh, this hardship isn't about God punishing you for your sin. This is about God training you in righteousness. Jesus has already taken the punishment for sin on your behalf if you trust in God. And now, as one of his dearly loved children, God trains you in righteousness, lets you share in his holiness. You get to share in God's holiness. We get to share in God's holiness as Christians. Without this holiness, we won't see the Lord, it says down in verse 14. And so, 
We prepare for hardship, we accept it, and we work to endure it. Uh, Verses 12 and 13, Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Christians, we expect hardship. Accept it. Respect God for training us in righteousness, for using hardship in life train us in holiness the preacher starts chapter 12 by saying fix your eyes on jesus endure hardship as discipline because the benefits are so great the consequences of not enduring are equally great that's what the preacher says in his final warning of the letter Uh, chapter 12 has the fourth of uh, of the warnings In the book, he warns his readers uh, not to refuse God. Verse 25, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. Don't refuse God. The writer, he contrasts the appearance of God to Israel at Mount Sinai with the appearance of God uh, to, to us now after the sacrifice of Jesus. So Sinai was the place where God gave Moses the law for Israel. Uh, It was a terrifying place. Anyone who even touched the mountain when God was there would die. Our sin is simply too great to allow us to enter the presence of God. Have a read from verse 18 with me. Chapter 12, verse 18. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a, a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. The preacher is describing this situation, which was, it was terrifying to be in the presence of God, to approach him meant death. But now, through the work of Jesus... We can approach God freely. We can approach God confidently because of the blood of Jesus. Follow along from verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all. To the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We no longer approach God with fear and trembling, knowing that we'll be burnt to a crisp if we get too close. Now we approach God confidently because Jesus has paid for our sins. We share in God's holiness because of Jesus. Now when it says Jesus' blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel, it means that Jesus' blood cries out forgiveness to us, whereas Abel's blood cried out condemnation to Cain. Uh, Abel's blood was the evidence that made Cain guilty of murder. (laughs) But Jesus' blood is the blood shed to remove our guilt sin how could we refuse a God who has done this for us 
the preacher has taken the earthly terror of Mount Sinai and a God who had to destroy us if we entered his presence and contrasted it with the heavenly reality of the city of God where the blood of Jesus brings us into God's presence without fear of death or punishment. Of course, if we refuse God, if we ignore him, then we face his punishment. (laughs) See the warning there again in verse 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? So we're warned not to refuse God. If we refuse God, we miss out on his grace. Like it says up in uh, verse 15, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. But we don't want to miss out on God's grace. We don't want to let sin take root and grow into a, a problem for ourselves or for others because if we refuse God, we carry the weight of sin ourselves. We face God's wrath and punishment for sin if we refuse him. The preacher has said that before in the book and he's saying it again. One day the world will be shaken. God's judgment will come. What's temporary will disappear and what cannot be shaken will remain that is his kingdom and those who belong in it will remain so we want to be found fixing our eyes on jesus when that happens we want to be found trusting in god not refusing him we want to be found looking to jesus when god comes uh, in judgment when that day arrives. It's this judgment that the preacher uses to motivate his readers to worship God. Uh, He ends chapter 12 with the encouragement to worship God acceptably. Uh, Don't refuse God, don't miss out on his grace because he is a consuming fire. If you refuse God, you will be destroyed. Instead, since we're being given an eternal kingdom where we'll live with God, For eternity, let us be thankful, the preacher says, and worship God acceptably. Uh, Read verse 28 there with me. Follow along with verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. As he does with all the warnings in in Hebrews, he, he comes back to this point that He's not necessarily saying if you're he's not saying if you're a Christian you can lose your faith so be really terrified of that no he's saying uh, he's saying since since we are receiving a kingdom he's described what what God's people have received this kingdom that cannot be shaken that they that they, they will be part of this kingdom when he returns therefore this is how you are to live. The preacher motivates us to worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. What does it mean to worship God acceptably? There's a big question. <laughs> what does it mean to worship God acceptably? Uh, 
We're going to be looking at that a little more in a couple of weeks' time when we come to chapter 13, because as the writer continues, he elaborates in chapter 13 what it means to live a life in worship of God. The preacher ends his letter with a string of encouragements in that final chapter, exhortations that flesh out acceptable worship of God. I think we'll see as we, as we come to chapter 13 in a couple of weeks that, that this is something which encompasses our whole lives, this acceptable worship of God. I just want to look ahead to two verses in chapter 13, verses 15 and 16, that I think get to the crux of what it means to worship God acceptably. Uh, chapter 13, verses 15 and 16. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Uh, Our sacrifice to God, the worship that he finds acceptable, uh, is praise of his name, and love for others. Love God and love your neighbour, you might say. Uh, and we wouldn't be the first ones to summarise it that way. We worship God acceptably by praising him to others, telling others how good and loving and wonderful he is. Telling people about the salvation he has provided in Jesus. That's exactly the kind of thing that will bring opposition to a Christian. (laughs) Uh, And if you're not facing a great deal of opposition as a Christian, maybe it's because you're not uh, praising his name. (laughs) You're not offering the the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Do that a little more and and you might find the opposition that comes. Uh, Remember that the preacher says that opposition is not the problem. (laughs) In fact, God is training you through that hardship that comes, and which may well come, when you openly praise God in this world. Telling people about the salvation God has provided, how good he is, and we live in a way that reflects his love for us, doing good and sharing with others. This is, this is the kind of sacrifice that pleases God. Uh, all of which we can do because of Jesus, through Jesus, the preacher says. And we'll look more at what that means uh, in a couple of Sundays' time when we finish our time in the book of Hebrews. So what do we do when the going gets tough, when we face hardship as Christians? How do we respond when we face that opposition to our faith or when we struggle with the temptation to sin or when we face those difficulties that come in life, what do we do? Well, we fix our eyes on Jesus. We look to Jesus, our perfect example, our perfect saviour. We endure hardship as discipline. We endure the hardships of this life, that opposition to our faith, because we know that they're nothing compared to the glory that awaits us. We endure because we know that God is training us as a loving father trains his children. Uh, He does it so that 
so that we won't give up our faith. He does it so that we will become more and more like him, so that we will share in our Father's holiness. We don't refuse God, instead we hold on to his grace because the one perfect sacrifice of Jesus, because of Jesus' sacrifice for us, we live grateful and thankful lives, free from God's wrath and judgment. We worship him by praising him for salvation, by loving each other. We endure hardship as discipline. We fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's pray and ask God to help us to do these things. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you because you are a loving and merciful God. We praise you for your goodness to us. We praise you and thank you for the hardship that we face in life, the hardships that may come. The hardships that come alongside with having put our faith in Jesus, the opposition that comes, uh, the difficulties we face as we struggle uh, against sin and temptation, the hardship that comes from those who wish that we would not profess the name of Christ. Lord, we, we thank you for that hardship. We thank you that by it you are training us We thank you that by it you are sharing your holiness with us. We thank you that through faith in Christ we have forgiveness, we have salvation. We thank you that as those who put our trust in Christ, we are part of that kingdom that cannot be shaken. Help us to keep our confidence in you, Lord. Help us to... Stand firm in our faith in Christ. Help us to endure hardship as discipline, knowing that you are our loving Heavenly Father. Help us to grow in maturity as followers of Jesus. And help us to worship you acceptably, Lord, that your name might be praised, that we might show great love to each other because you have shown such great love to us. We ask for your help in all these things, Lord. We ask it for your glory and in Jesus' name. Amen.